Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Hi, Micah. How's it going? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I feel like that's the general April energy. We've had like a lot of rainy days here in New York, which has been like a little bit of a bummer, but counterbalanced with like nice sunny 60s. So can't I can't relate. Complain. I have basically only had high 70s, mid 80s, all sunny weather. It's been fantastic and well, sweaty, but still. I'm ready for the 70s to come here to New York, as is I'm sure the rest of the East Coast and the Midwest. We're mm. waiting. We are waiting. Also, it's, you know, April is the month of Aries, I think, right? Oh, so is March. I mean, we're both Aries, so it's not totally, (laughs) you know, sign. It's also shared with the Marchers. My birthday is going to be the day that this comes out. Oh, yeah. Everyone wish Micah a happy birthday. No, don't do that. What the heck? That's going to be very overwhelming. (laughs) I'm ignoring my phone that day. (laughs) I would love that. I feel like um, that's sometimes yeah. the best gift you can give yourself on your birthday is to ignore your phone. Oh my God, the phone's so much. I feel always so overwhelmed by just like the love and attention, which is, is crazy that I feel overwhelmed by it. But like, I purposely try to be so sneaky about my birthday. So like, I can just like field as little calls and text messages as possible. Yeah. It's so crazy that's where we are in the world today. <laughs> Last week, we had a really fun workshop. Yes, that went so well. I know we have a handful of emails to respond to in our inbox asking like, will the workshop be available again? Can we buy the recordings? And, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll work that out. But for the people who did buy a ticket, not everybody went, some people bought so that they could watch it later, but we had, we had a pretty good turnout. There was what, like 15, 17 awesome humans in there all weekend. Yeah, it was great. And people engaged and participating, asking questions. We reviewed a bunch of work on Sunday. And like, I always find crits so helpful too, because like crits always bring up points that you maybe have glossed over during the teaching portion that you're like, can really drill down when you start reviewing everyone else's work. So I thought it was just like, really just like such a good time and so educational and fun. And to clarify, it was a workshop with our good friend, Daniel Nisbet, who taught uh, some techniques to draw by hand typography and like start lettering by hand, which is cool because, you know, despite my connection to the league, that's always been a rough spot for me. I'm just not a hand drawing person. I I went through all of art school and was like the only class ever to not be required to do drawing. Wow. They, I like got in, I was in the digital program. So I got in on the one year that they were like, Eh, maybe digital kids don't need to learn how to draw. And then the next year they were like, that was a mistake, but we can't go back for them. So like, I guess they'll they'll just go through life not drawing. I remember I had, we were pretty much all required to do foundation, like drawing, painting, et cetera. And all the photography students, oh, I always felt so bad for them. Cause that was like ultimate, like they're like, like they were there to take photographs, not mm-hmm. to draw still lifes. And it was always like, Oh, it's okay. They're a photography student. (laughs) That was literally me too. Like I was a photo kid going into like a digital program and they were like, oh yeah, they'll they'll be fine. Like I probably could have used that. Oh my gosh. Well, 
there's it's never too late daniel is teaching so many great nuggets of tips and tricks for drawing so yeah excited that that went well and really pumped for all the future workshops that are going to happen yeah i think we're still kind of we're going to decide this week what the next one's going to look like but it's probably going to be sort of this running theme of making fonts and kind of beginner type design stuff so that's going to be really cool yeah. and what the heck are we talking about with nerd alert this week What's the darn plan? I was waiting for I believe you. I believe you. (laughs) The plan is, so I was working with some colors and I was doing color explorations at work. Just like, you know, we had a logo and it was red, blue, and yellow. And I just like kept on tweaking all the colors to make sure we got the perfect red, the perfect blue, the perfect yellow, because we were creating a brand from scratch. And then I was like, I keep on using hex codes. What the heck are these six digit little mysteries? What I was the like, heck are I, these? I know they mean something, but they seem so frivolous and random. And I use these every day and I copy and paste these into things that know what they are. And six digits means a color in the world of design. And like, I, I pretty much every designer is touching these things every day. And I'm like, how, what what's the rationale behind these values and so i dug deep into that this week that's a very fun topic i'm excited to learn about that i used to have a friend who knew the answer to this and tried to explain it to me once and it and it sounded like uh gibberish so i'm still clueless it's, it's a little complex but i think we'll be able to break it down nicely for everyone i'm psyched all right you um, ready you want to start talking about cool links Well, our first article in the newsletter this week is all about hex color codes, but we're going to skip that since we're going to explain everything in detail later in the episode. So moving right along, we have an excellent article and tutorial from It's Nice That, and it is a creative guide, hand draw letters that advocate for change with Studio Nari. And so It's Nice That is partnering with the Today at Apple programming to create exciting step-by-step guides. And this one is all about creating letter forms. And so they partner with designer Katarina Bianchini and they work with her to give uh, readers a process and a workflow for creating hand-drawn letters from scratch. And it's pretty interesting. It's very thorough. There are six steps, you know, first step is thinking about her prompt. What does change mean to you? Second step is research and mood board. Third step is creating a concept tree. Then you're sketching your letter forms. Then you're tweaking your letter forms and you're designing a poster. And so this is just like really in depth. It shows her process that she uses to create her work. And then is pretty much a guide for you to apply the same techniques to your own hand-drawn letter forms. A lot of tips with Apple products, including using an iPad and using Procreate. But in general, I think is a pretty interesting guide for our listeners today. Yeah, it's kind of neat just because I don't know anybody. I mean, I know people who use Procreate for lettering. And this seemed Mm -hmm. a little bit, I mean, it was lettering, but it seemed a little bit less about lettering and more about like creative characters and stuff. And that's neat. Yeah, very cool. And I think that she also emphasizes that you don't need to be a letterer to do this prompt. Mm -hmm. You just... There's a lot of roots in research and concept, and I think that's pretty interesting. And I love how she explains how her concept is built into the letter forms and how those are expressing them. So pretty unusual, not a little bit more 
out there for the tutorials we have, but I think another great way to help people understand a new way of working that maybe will work for them. Yeah. And kind of in the middle, there's, there's a really useful template that, that they give to download for like drawing characters in Procreate, which might be useful just for that. For sure. I think it's interesting during our workshop, Steph, our intern had the question of how do you practice drawing letter forms? I think even this whole prompt here, look at prompts that that designers may put out into the world, see how they make you think different. And maybe that will help you create prompts for yourself to have to practice lettering down the future. Yeah. You know what else? A kind of meta point. I really love the design of It's Nice That. I think I've mentioned this before, but they're like heading font that they use on rare occasions Mm -hmm. in certain points in any given article is all off kilter and weird and messed up. And I love it. Yeah, it's fun. Greatly appreciate it. Cool. Cool. Moving right along. We have an article from UX Collective, a publisher of great things, and it is titled Things I Learned by Publishing My First Typeface, How to Overcome Unproductive Perfectionism and Use the Internet to Finally Get Your Work Out There. This was written by Gaston Fuoco, pardon my pronunciation, and he talks about his experience in the master's program in typeface design at the University of Buenos Aires and how he labored over a font for a couple really serious years throughout this master's program. Then once he was completed with the program, he kind of let his font lay dormant for six months, which is like not surprising. You're exhausted. You went through so much education. You need to take a step back. Then all of a sudden it's six months and you're like, ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about how after six months, you want to go back into your font. You want to make it as perfect as possible. But at what end are you just making more work for yourself? And I think this article is just kind of like a hype up article for all of those people that want to publish their first typeface, but maybe are have the true perfectionist trait inside of them. And he talks about, you know, how it's great to put in an excessively long period of time into something that you care a lot about. But when does a long period of time turn into excessively long? And talking about how traditionally people would kind of celebrate the endlessly hours that would go into a typeface. But maybe today, maybe if it's your first typeface, you put it out there and you, you know, give it out there. Even if there's a few flaws, then you just correct those flaws in your next iteration. I think he says something great that showing your work is not only beneficial to oneself, but also for the broader type community. Hoarding your work doesn't inspire anybody. Getting it out there does. I think that's great. Also, the typeface is really rad. I would definitely use this typeface. (laughs) It's called Ehira, I think, H-E-J-I-R-A. Uh, and it's it's been published with Sutipos, which is a pretty outstanding type boundary. So congratulations. This is awesome. And this is a great story to hear about. Yeah. I mean, okay, first I have to mention, I actually did not know that the University of Buenos Aires had a master's in typeface design. Where did I, I? I did not know. You know, I obviously knew about Cooper and Redding and that's kind of it. So that's, yeah. that's very cool. That's very interesting. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last eight months or so about trying to diversify the typeface industry. And so that's, that's already just a cool thing. Secondly, I love how I like that message, which you put very eloquently of iterating, like just publish the thing and then iterate and improve it over time. It's okay. That is such an awesome and I mean, fantastically difficult thing to 
accept and do, right? I struggle with perfectionism as well. But it's so awesome because there's so many, I've been saying this literally since starting the league, but there's so many correlations between the the engineering world, the like software engineering world and the typeface engineering world. And -hmm. this is a lesson that I feel like I can't even say engineers learned like software engineers learned a long time ago because obviously every human has to learn this lesson on their own timeline. But it's one of those things that's like very accepted at a startup to like make a beta version mm-hmm. and keep iterating on it. And it's so interesting that we are now finally getting into the beginning of an era in typeface design where they're taking lessons from the engineering that has come before it. I love that perspective and like I it's not something that I would immediately connect to my mind but you're so right. I also think the mindset of being able to get your work out there and not have it be the pinnacle of perfect typeface design is actually making typeface design more accessible. I think a really big roadblock for people starting a typeface would be like, well, there's no way I have the ability or time to spend five years on a typeface the way all these other typeface designers have done it beforehand. And how is that valuable for me? And so I think the idea that you don't need to belabor years and years into a typeface just to have a good typeface that's on the world is kind of a new idea too, and a novel idea, like you said, borrowing maybe from different industries. And I think is a really good thing. So I love to see these sort of stories out there. Totally. And honestly, even, you know, we were talking about the workshop before that happened this last weekend. That was such a good example where people drew a bunch of important letters in a day. And and that is such a good foundation for some new typeface that like, it's, it's not like it takes five years to make a typeface. You can make, you know, 80% of a great typeface in a very short amount of time. And if you just have the courage to push through the fear of publishing it, it can lead to fantastic things. Exactly. It's beautiful. Well, great messaging out there. A nice little nugget amongst uh, our links this week. The next link, also a very interesting novel innovation, is Polite Type. This was sent over to us by our dear friend Trey Seals of Vocal Type. Thank you, Trey. And it's actually pretty interesting. So it's an open source project called the Polite Type, and it was a typeface designed and like the design is like pretty standard but the design of the code is what makes it novel so basically they worked with teams i believe you have high school age teenagers and youth different backgrounds in finland and the initiative was creative typeface that censored any bullying language so any bad words any sentences that are insults or um, make someone feel bad it's either blurred out into a new symbol that they created for this typeface or the words get swapped out so i think like you say something like i hate you will get swapped out with i disagree with you and i haven't really seen this technology used in this way and it's just like a new way of thinking about the the code inside the type and how that's actually quite powerful. That is really fascinating. I don't think I don't think I totally picked up on this. I mean, it's a very clear website, but I think you describing it is when it finally clicked just now. And it's it's interesting because they they're using code to describe what words are bad, right? I struggled with this at first because I thought I understood it and they have a tester on the page and mm-hmm. 
maybe I'm just a nice person. I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything. Oh, no, you need to get your devil inside of you to come out for this contest. I like tried swear words. It didn't work. Really? Yeah. Mine was working. It didn't go to the blurred out symbol. No. But I mean, it's, it's, I don't know any good swear words. I don't know. He doesn't know swear words. That's okay, Micah. I'm now blushing, like realizing that I'm just like this innocent, naive human who had no idea. But anyway, I think that's a very neat idea. It's also a little dangerous to like censor anything that is being typed, you know, like it can, it can go both ways. That's fair. That's fair. I think, you know, being used in the correct context, it can be you know, pretty powerful. I think cyberbullying is very real for people that are not our age. And I guess for people our age. But I think it, it's just pretty interesting to bridge together anti-cyberbullying with design in a way I didn't think of. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And what's interesting is when you download the source, I'm realizing now they have sort of the the discriminating words we'll say discriminating instead of bad and it's in multiple languages i appreciate that you know Mm -hmm. because this could easily have just been a quick project they threw in a bunch of bad words in english and that was it but it just shows that they actually really care yeah wow just pretty pretty interesting i just i'm curious what uh twitter would look like if we all had a type in the spot I mean, I wonder if if the thought here is to say on a school computer or something, have this be a standard font. That's so fair, you know, for messaging between students. I'm sure that's a thing now to make sure that like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I mean, I mean, even even if the project is really just awareness and an interesting creative idea to to make awareness, I think that's effective and interesting. I think I sometimes struggle with with these like conceptual font projects because I recognize that I would have to install it, you know, and so I would have to want to not bully in the first place in in order to use it. I mean, granted, of course, like a parent could install it or something. It's yeah, yeah. I just think some of that's funny. Wow. Well, another cool new find for this week. Moving on. Interesting article our intern stuff found for us. It is for our art lovers because it involves some art. And it is titled, Does Content Matter in Kurt Schwitters's Hands Typography? In Kurt Schwitters's Hands, Typography Transcends Language. Ooh. So it's actually corresponding to a new exhibition going on at the MoMA right now, in case anyone's in New York and interested. And it's a gallery dedicated to Kurt Schwitters, who was a German artist, performer, publisher, poet, graphic designer, all the works in German. So it's pretty interesting. The person that's analyzing one of the posters talks about how intriguing she finds the type layout and the typography and the type design, but she doesn't know a word of German. And like, what does that mean when those aesthetic relationships are so fascinating? Does that still convey meaning to the viewer that's seeing this years afterwards? And it's actually pretty interesting. You don't even have to understand German to see one of his conceptual tricks that Kurt Twitters puts in one of the pieces. Ellen Lepton actually was able to participate in the audio guide, as we know she's a type lover and graphic design guru. And the first example of his work that we see, she says, he wanted to reform the writing system so that the shapes of the alphabet 
would have more of a connection to the sounds of speech. So if you look closely at the letter forms in this poster, you'll see that all the vowels are drawn with curves and the consonants are drawn with straight lines. And so that's an interesting visual cue for us to understand the sounds that were being created in this poster. And these are much more conceptual looks at art as design. And it's very much written from art people that are evaluating design, which is pretty interesting. But again, kind of like an amuse-bouche to finish off our links this week that will leave you pondering with you know, the value of design, whether that's not that, whether that's design, that's not in your language, that can still be like super valuable for your eyes. And you can still appreciate because when things get archived that are part of design history, there's a lot of questions. How do we value it? Do we value it because of the aesthetic beauty? What about its contribution to design history? What about its ability to convey a marketing message, which a lot of graphic design ephemera is, that still gets put into our archive things? For example, I know the Apple commercial from like the 80s off the back of my head because that was in our design history. And it was mostly in our design history because it was a new form of marketing, not because we love Apple. So pretty heady topics for you to examine on your on your weekend. I mean, one of the things that I thought about when I read when I read this was, you know, there's a sentence in here, the playfully typeset Opal Tog on the bottom right of this poster is like a visual onomatopoeia. You can almost feel the words form in your mouth as you read it. And I was like, ooh, that is very interesting. And and to use typesetting and sort of letter form creation and typography in general as a means to describe how you want a poem to be spoken is honestly not super revolutionary to the to the grammar of poetry but i think isn't often visually represented this way with like this very artistic flair i think it harkens back to a lot of our punctuation symbols are based off of audio cues Mm. our comma and Mm. our period are based off of pauses and speeches and oration and so i love that we can still appreciate that those two are connected and be reminded of that even if we can't necessarily read the language of whatever's being typeset i have to ask before we move on i can't be the only one who doesn't precisely know what a moose bush means oh my gosh Okay, well, now I'm on the, I I have to, you know, actually know what it means. I think it's like during a multi-course meal at a fancy restaurant. I think it, I think it might be the ending. And it's like not the dessert because it's just like a tiny little tasting of something to entertain your mouth. That is not the official <laughs> going to say. I feel like it's like a little bit more of an experimental tasting of a food because it's not a dish and it's like not a formal course interesting i could just google this but i think it's more fun not to google things sometimes that's too true too true now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say hey thank you to our sponsors thank you to adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install embed use pretty much however you like We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic 
emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, cool. Micah, it's time. <laughs> Guys, this is... This is going to be a fun one because if you are really fascinated in translating hex codes, this could be your party trick. You could be like, oh, I want to put on the TV screen hashtag F60581 and maybe it matches the wall exactly as you envision. That's, that's what I'm going to use this knowledge for. <laughs> hex codes, what are they? What, how do they actually work? So- we're going to understand what these six-digit codes mean today. Hex codes. I first encountered them wondering if they were different than RGB or were they the same as RGB? Why do some brand guidelines put hex codes and RGB values? And when I say RGB, I mean red, green, blue values. And th those are distinguished by three numbers with commas in between them. So... Hex codes are just RGB in a different syntax. We have to think of hex codes as three pairs of values, and each pair represents a color. So the first pair of values in the six digits is red, the second pair of values in the six digits is green, and the last pair in the six digits is blue. And these values are of a different base system than we're used to. They all represent values 0 to 255 each pair, but they're not written in base 10. They are written in base 16. Wait, wait. For, for non-math nerds, can you give a quick description of what you mean by base? Absolutely. So in our Latin Arabic normal system, we have our digits 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And those are the only digits we can use to express numerals. And so when we say the number 83, it's an eight and a three. And so we multiply eight by 10, which is 80, and then add three, because that's our single digit that's following our base 10. So that's 83. That's the simplest way to think of it. And I believe our clock system is base 12 because we count up to 12 and then we restart mm. every time. So Almost. it's not like, I mean, does a 24 hour clock, is that base 24? I think so. Yeah. Mm. And so computers, when they use hexadecimal code, they can actually count beyond nine. This is very exciting. So <laughs> the way that hex codes work, they count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, A, B, C, D, E, F. What? And Wait, yes. what? Yes. And that way, A is their 10. B is 11, C, 12, D, 13, E, 14, F. What? That's bonkers. Yep. Hold on. Yeah. So they have those superpowers. My brain's, my brain's squishing a little bit. It's okay. I'm not going to expect everyone to walk out of this understanding base 16 because I remember under, trying to understand base system in sixth grade and I made both me and my mom's brains break. I specifically remember crying because I didn't understand other bases besides base 10 when I was in sixth grade. So to calculate our hex codes, we have to actually calculate everything in base 16. So for example, if our hex code begins with F4, that is representing a numeral. And so that is representing, let's calculate that. So F means 15. And we multiply 15 by 16, 
because it's, you know, the first digit in our two digit number. And so 15 times 16 is 240. And I say F3. So F, so 240 plus three is 243. And that's our red value. What? Yes. It's Wait crazy. That's okay. what Can I, you do one more example? Give me, give me, give me a hex. Yeah. Give me a six digit code and I will calculate for you right now. Well, I mean, I only know a few. It's okay. Like, you can be totally random about it too. I mean, the only thing I can think of is all Fs. Like that's white. Hey, yeah. All Fs is white. And that's, I can explain why that is white to you right now. Yeah, okay. And if you want to hear about that. So we take our first pair, FF. Let's take the first digit in that F, multiply it by 16 for our base 16. That leaves us with 240. Wait, now wait. we take our... Okay, so one, two, zero, right? Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. A is 10. B is 11. C is 12. D is 13. E is 14. F is 15. Everybody's probably like, Micah, could you go any slower? But that's fine. It's okay. No, I think a lot of people want to move at this pace. Okay, so, so, so we get to 15. Yeah, and then so you're saying F. multiply that by 16? Just because that's just what it is. That Yeah, because that's just base 16. The way that like if we have the number 83, we multiply 8 times 10 in our head to get that first digit. So that's base 10. But in base 16, we multiply 15 by 16. This is not easy stuff. Okay. But okay. So it 240. Does come to conclusion. 240. What's our second digit? F, which we know equals 15. Mm, okay. So 240 255. plus yep. 15, 255. If you do all white and you want to represent that in RGB, it's 255, 255, 255. What the darn heck? Wait, how, how high do RGB numbers go again? Zero to 255. So when red, green, and blue are at their full values, they're all emitting light, we create white. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, just in, I think, I think it's the multiplying by 16 that keeps screwing me up of being like, okay, we're, we're at the top with F that's the top we can go. But then if we can go to 16, but we can't mm -hmm. because of zero. Exactly. So pure red is FF0000 because we have our red at 255 value, which is full blast green at zero blue at zero FF0000. So you could start mathematically predicting colors by understanding hex codes. Some people can be given six letters and numbers and figure out approximately what color that could create. I'm not there yet, but people can. People can. <laughs> that is wild. So I, I think it's, you know, the important takeaway for me is not that people understand how to calculate hex codes, but to understand where the letters and numbers come from and how that can be helpful when understanding values. I would love to be able to bring them to this next level of understanding hex codes. And that's by adjusting the values in my hex code to mathematically change certain lights and darks in a color by a specific mathematical step. Like I would love to be able to do that. I'm not there yet. But, you know, hex codes are important. It's way easier to copy and paste a hex code than it is RGB values, even though they represent the same thing. And it's often used in the web. And with hex codes, you can make 16,777,216 unique combinations with just six characters. That's six wild. characters made from 10 numerals and six letters, preceded by a hash mark. I have to ask, did you learn in your research why this exists? Where did it come I from? Like, what the heck? Was 
trying to. It seems like hexadecimal code has existed for quite a while and it came from people using that code, but I couldn't tell you why it it why it's so universal. My assumption is that it's easier to just convey a code that's one number, one value long rather than RGB, which you have to remember three different values, but Interesting. So fascinating. If any super nerds out there know some of the history, I don't know. Yeah, I would love that too. Cause it's definitely out there and hex codes aren't going anywhere. So I think it's pretty exciting to kind of understand how they work. Very fascinating. I feel like you my blew gosh. my mind. Thanks. I mean, me and Steph got to work together and make an article happen. Cause this stuff is way easier to process visually too. Mm. Have like you have the cheat sheet of what A B C D E equals, which is I've had in front of my face this whole time. Oh, you cheater! You're cheating. But anyhow, week we got wrapped up into a podcast. Yeah, great hacking work as always. Everyone involved. I hope I didn't exhaust you or anyone too much. I need a nap. This map. I need a darn nap. You look like it. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in yet again to another wonderful weekly type graphic. As always, if you have anything fun to share that you think the world should know about, send it on over. And either way, we're going to have another fun batch next week. Do-do-do-do.